Hi, it's Wayne and G. I'm going to be going on the road pretty soon, in a couple days, and uh, it's also been a few weeks since I did a podcast, so I thought I'd better talk to you today, because we are now going into our second half of 2011. The predictions that we did in January for the first half of this year have all basically come true, and they continue to come true, from earthquakes to uh, tsunamis to volcanoes. Um, Tornadoes have been very destructive. Hurricane season is now upon us, and I know from the animals, again, from the fish, uh, the biting um, stingrays and uh, the shark clusters that are growing in different places, um, that they shouldn't be. There should be a few, but not hundreds. That the uh, Florida coast will be hit with a major hurricane this year probably cross over into the Gulf of Mexico according to the weather patterns that we've seen which are not all uh, natural I would guess also that there'll be two hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico one that will probably go toward the panhandle of Florida which also comes toward um, Alabama Mississippi uh, Louisiana area these places have been hard hit by the flooding which we also predicted um, we also said, if you remember, that that things would start to happen where you'd see the signs of um, our evolution toward whatever the end date is. That doesn't mean the end of days. It doesn't mean that we're all going to die and there's going to be this massive bunch of bodies floating up into the air or any of that kind of stuff. What it means is that we have evolved to a point now um, where our energy into the planet and the planet's energy into us is clashing just a little bit and uh, and and things have to happen whenever you have conflict there is always an outcome to that conflict whether that is death to the way things were or growth from uh, absolute change or both so we will be in a place where things will change and they are changing quickly right now so we predicted that things would happen with flooding and weather that would cause uh, our mighty Mississippi to run backwards. And with the massive flooding that we saw starting in April, uh, actually probably a little before that March, um, we did see the tributaries and the Mississippi running backwards. It's going to straighten out, but it still hasn't, believe it or not. And we also have the Missouri River now that's flooding. We have... Um, because of that flooding, lost millions and millions and millions of acres in actuality of farmland and crops, um, which not only feed us in the United States, but feed many countries around the world. We have provided for those countries uh, since our inception, basically, as a nation. And now those crops are gone, which is causing food prices to rise everywhere and shelves to be empty in any and all of the countries that have economies that are underwater. And isn't that interesting how we say they're underwater? That mortgages are underwater. Housing is underwater. They're not worth as much as what you paid for them. You're paying more than what you can get back for them. You can't afford to pay what they now cost. So everything is underwater. That's massive flooding. Um, and, and we have the signs from real flooding, and then we have the flooding 
that that is going on on a global level. And uh, as with any kind of thing like that, if you have flooding, then you also have famine because you have no rain, no water, nothing um, that's happening to cause growth. That's the opposite, right? So we have that going on in the other countries that don't have flooding. We have famine in China. Um, of course, that's one of the biggest places you're going to see it because um, there's so many people that when you do have famine, when you do have um, dry conditions where they can't make their crops grow, it affects millions of people at a time. And they ran out of food. They will run out of food in about four days. They've already run out. I mean, that's the date that's put on it. But So a couple million people are going to starve to death if the world doesn't come together and give them food. Um, but, you know, again, we don't have all that food to send to them. And would, would we and would everybody else, unless they change and do things, because they're not our children. Our children will feed even if they're bad whenever they screw up, which we know they're going to do because they're human. Um, we may try to punish them and we may uh, implement punishment of sorts to to guide them to being better people or help them to become better people but we don't cut them off well most of us don't anyway but we don't cut them off and let them die so are we treating these other countries like they are our children or is it coming from guilt or is it coming from manipulation um, political manipulation in most cases I would guess the latter that we're not going to give you food unless we get something back. Uh, which is a very long discussion about whether we should have been involved in all of that in the first place. And there are those in this country who are running for office, the, the libertarian isolationists, who believe that we shouldn't be involved in anything. Just trade back and forth. And, and um, if your people are dying, take care of it. And we're not going to get involved. Whew, boy, I don't know. In a, in a country like ours that was designed and created with divine providence, that, that was guided by God as a chosen place, the only country in the world that is diverse is as diverse as we are because we allowed ourselves and made ourselves and created ourselves to be the melting pot of, of every culture, um, melting into being an American, not not allowing every culture to come in and be their own culture, but melting into Americanism, we have evolved from being isolationist prior to World War One to being imperialistic after World War Two to being the great um, mother and father of all these countries where we give food and money constantly so that they can survive. Now that all translates back to what happens in our own families. Uh, when I was growing up, we had parents that really didn't interfere with your day at all because they didn't have to. You either worked or you played. You went to school and you played and you worked. Or you went to school, did your homework, and you went to play. Um, and it was safe enough. And you knew the boundaries. You knew the rules. And you played by the rules. And you got home at a certain time and didn't have to have anybody yell at you because you were late. If you were late, you knew you were in trouble. When you went to school, you respected your teachers. You did what you were supposed to do. You didn't always become an A student. You didn't always do your homework. You got into your trouble here and there. But if the teacher had you stand up in a corner or stood you up to reprimand you, 
um, that was important. If you had to go to the principal's office, that was scary. Now they just attack the teachers. Now there's no discipline. Now you can have fights in the classroom, and teachers will videotape them on their on their iPhones and not interfere. Um, there's the isolationist liberals for you. Those are the teachers who are allowing these things to happen because just let them happen. And then there are the ones who are totally right-wing fanatics who, if you are a student in their school and you don't um, play by the new rules that they've made up, uh, you become a victim of the rest of the class or the rest of the school because they will make sure that you become that victim. Um, and that, and the, the right-wing fanatics, by the way, are no different than the total left-wing jerks because they, they adopt the same solutions. It's, it's always um, blaming someone else, calling names, using violence, inciting violence uh, to get anything to happen because they don't have solutions, they don't have facts, they don't have enough intelligence, in my mind, to know how to deal with a, a, um, a human being another human being. All human beings have something in common. We are somebody's child. We are somebody's child as a human, and we are somebody's child in the universe. Uh, you know, and that gives us our commonality. And then there's that wonderful thing called individuality, which allows us to be who we are, and only us, only who we are. No one else is like me. No one else is like you as close as we could be to each other, no matter what. Those fingerprints are going to be different. The footprints are going to be different. One aspect of our DNA will be different, which will cause me to respond to, to the exact same stimulus differently than it will cause you to respond to it, because you're different. And that's the challenge of being human, the challenge of being on Earth, the challenge of being one of God's kids. He... he, he um, Actually, he and she. You know, I really think that there's a mother and father in heaven, not just the father. And that was all patriarchal stuff that came down and just made it the father. But but they are the parents, and they they give us our start, and they say, okay, you know, we're going to put you with these human, human parents, and they'll help you to thrive um, nutritionally, hopefully, give you shelter so that you'll grow into whoever you're supposed to be because of free will, um, but based on that initial footprint, that initial handprint, uh, and that initial DNA of who you're supposed to become. And as you go through life making choices, and having choices made for you because you allow that to happen, your, uh, one of the layers of your humanity, of your humanness, um, will start changing. You know, you'll hurt yourself, you'll get sick, you'll eat wrong, you'll drink wrong, you'll make bad decisions, you'll make yourself toxic, you'll become fearful instead of loving, you'll become um, negative instead of positive, because you made choices along the way from the time you went to kindergarten, probably, or before. You don't have conscious choices so much in kindergarten, but you begin to form those conscious choices. You choose your friends, you choose when to rebel, you choose how far you're going to push the limits. You choose how to react after you have pushed the limits and, and something happens back to you or nothing happens to you. And then you continue on your path. If it isn't checked, if, if you're um, behaving in a, in a way that just is not going to get along with the rest of humanity and it's not checked, you will get yourself in more trouble until until 
you will check yourself, whether that's um, getting in enough trouble to be killed or um, going off a cliff or taking drugs or drinking too much or whatever it is, you allow yourself to do that. You're not the victim of anybody. Nobody caused that like we have now in our racial uh, teachings here. You know, you'll talk to many black people who are angry all the time. And they love Obama because they were victims for generations now of this oppressive country. And then you'll talk to other blacks who are who have recognized that they are lucky to be in this wonderful country that everybody calls oppressive. And that they have taken the opportunities available to them. Whether that be just going to a school, which in many countries you don't have schools. Um, and then doing your best at school, not just attending or trying to sell drugs on campus um, and then applying all the things that you've learned to your soul what your soul wants you to do what your soul is telling you you're here for whether that's becoming you know the CEO of Godfather's Pizza or um, the best athlete in the world in the Olympics or whatever it is it's applying all those different things to becoming who you're supposed to be or at least one aspect of who you're supposed to be we're not just one thing you know uh, we have fates before us that that dictate, you know, that we are going to be um, math teachers. But you're not just a math teacher. <laughs> you're also a great ice sculptor. Um, you write books behind the scenes. You know, you, you know mysteries better than anyone because you've expanded your horizons. You don't just look down a narrow tunnel. You, you look all around you with that 360 vision that you're allowed to have. And... And your energy field is not just um, a tunnel. It's all around you. It's spinning constantly in several layers, at least seven that we know of. It's always a cardinal number. And so you are allowed to reach out from that energy field with, um, with your intellect, with your creativity, with your heart, with your soul, your mind, with your body, um, all the different aspects of you, who you are as a human being, to become all you're supposed to be. But we have, you know, people who believe and have been taught to believe that if you're not making as much money as somebody else, you're a victim. If you um, didn't go to the right school, you're a victim. If you were born to the wrong parents, you're a victim. If you were born in the wrong city, you're a victim. Well, I, don't, I never thought that way. I always thought that I, it's impossible for me to be a victim <laughs> because... I was given the opportunity to be born in a city that might cause me to act differently than everybody else. I was given the opportunity to be um, uh, have something negative happen to me that will allow me to find something in my own character that makes me a better person. Whether that's living in a cemetery or having somebody hit me or having something broken because they hit me, you know, this, am I a victim? Am I going to sit in a corner and cry about it and expect the government or some parent or some group to give me handouts to make me feel better about being a victim? No. I never did that. And there are millions of people who have been in circumstances that uh, are not conducive to absolute perfection who took those circumstances and turned them around, you know, whether they were uh, had to work in a garage to create Microsoft or um, had the wrong color of skin so that they had to fight a little harder, uh, came from the wrong city, 
and the slum area of a city or the bad area of a city so that they could create cities later that never had those. These are all done for reasons. We're here for a reason. But America is turning into a, a, a class of victims. And it is class warfare going out there, but the Democrats will tell you that it's um, we're destroying the Republicans or the the right wing or whoever is destroying the middle class. Well, they, they haven't even defined what that middle class is yet. Um, the poverty level is about $4,850. So if you make less than that, you're poor. Well, i got news for you. If you make... And you make three times as much as that, you're still poor. So does that make you poor or working class? Well, they say if you're, you're poor if you make that 4850 But if you make $5,000, you're now working class. And if you make $10,000, you double that. You're middle class. And anything that, that, that kind of doubles that some more, you become upper middle class. And then you become upperly mobile middle class. Um, and then all of a sudden you're the elite. Well, if you're going to define classes that way, we're all in trouble. The whole world and never should have had money in the first place or, or created anything to trade or, um, you know, interacted with our own skills to so that we could also interact with someone else's and trade those back and forth. We, we never should have done any of that. Uh, but we're people and we did and we are and that's the way life was set up. I can, and when I was in the Marines, I, I had a, t when you're a female Marine, a woman Marine, you don't get to send your uniforms out to get laundered. You have to do them every night. <laughs> you have two uniforms. You wash one and dry, and, and starch it and dry it as, and hang it so that during the day, the next day, while you're wearing your other uniform, that's drying and getting all ready for you for 8 o'clock that, that, that night after you've put in your full, you know, 12 hours of doing everything they tell you to do the last thing in the day is to get to the laundry in groups um, and you have 10 minutes to, to iron those shirts and slacks and have them ready for inspection for the next morning as you also wash the other uniform and get it all hung up and starched and ready to go well I for whatever reason maybe I always wore wash and wear as a kid because I was so rambunctious and athletic that I, I could not get those little tiny tiny pressed increases out of the collars of my blue starch shirt in my utility uniform and that was the first thing after a couple inspections that my di's my drill instructors would look for because they knew that was my weakness so if i had those little tiny creases in my collar i got barks against me because i didn't i was I could do everything else, right? I was the perfect Marine, but I couldn't iron the stupid little corners, those little tiny things in those corners of the collars. Okay, so what? Do I get thrown out of the Marines? Do I get enough um, demerits that I go to, that I, I, I react negatively because now I'm a victim of the drill instructors, and so I'm going to overreact and try to shoot them or kill them or do whatever and end up in the brig, or do I overreact another way and decide that I must be no good, I'm a bad Marine, and I should run away and go AWOL and die in the swamps, um, or what do I do? Well, I, I had lived already at the age of 18, many years before that, recognizing that I have all the capabilities in the world of doing anything. So, okay, I know I'm in trouble. I cannot, no matter what, I don't have the DNA or I don't have the, the IQ or something to get these tiny little pressed increases out of these starch collars. They're starch cotton blue collars, right? The tips. 
there'd be one little one little line showing, and I'd fail inspection. And I wasn't going to get thrown out of the Marines for anything. So I bartered. <laughs> Not with the GIs, of course. But there were some people in my squad bay who could not polish shoes the way I could. They didn't know how to do a spit shine on Oxfords. I'll tell you what, those shoes were great, by the way. They were they were supportive. They were strong shoes. They made your feet and your back good. They were good, good shoes. I wish we could still find them these days. But they couldn't polish them. So I made a deal. If you do my shirt, I'll do your shoes. And so as time went on, we found a lot of people who were in trouble who were good Marines, so they could, but they couldn't iron those damn shirts. So we got groups of us who did the shoes, and they did the shirts and the pants. And everything was, was we were a super squad bay. <laughs> we passed all the inspections, no problem. Um, because we learned how to use the skills from each other and not be victims. Were there victims in our squad bay who decided to be victims? Absolutely. I mean, I think we started out with, um, in the squad bay, I think it was 98 or something like that, and only about 36 of us graduated. Um, a lot of them went AWOL, they burned flags, they drank shoe polish, they did everything they could because they wanted to be victims. Now, I didn't stay the victim, um, or learn how to be a victim again for many, many years uh, as time went on. And uh, I think I was, oh, I don't know, I don't know, maybe maybe my late 30s or something. And I was in, in a, another school. I've, I've taken, I have multiple degrees that I've taken, courses that have nothing to do with degrees, and I've taken, um, you know, I mean, I've just, I've tried to do everything I can in this life, and I'm, and I'm still going. But anyway, I was having a particularly hard time because I was working so hard, at my jobs and going to school that I got overtired and undernourished and underwatered, I guess. So I'm like a bad plant that's turning colors. Um, and and walked to a store that night uh, to pick something up. It was a short walk. It was winter in Buffalo. Uh, ice was thick on the, on the roadways, probably a good four to three or four inches thick. It wasn't snowing, but it was colder than heck. And I walked to the store in an angry way. I was just uh, not, I just didn't want to deal with all the things that were going on. And I used to go for walks when I felt that way, so I, I wouldn't, you know, imperil everybody else with my, with my mood. Um, but anyway, so I went to the store, and I got what I needed, and I walked out. And I was a few feet away from the parking lot of the store, walking back towards my home. And this guy grabbed me from behind and spun me around and asked for all my money. And I was just in the right mood to look at his scarred face that was several inches higher than mine. Um, and and just, you know, swore at him and said hell no and a few other things and made him go away from me. And I turned around to keep walking and he grabbed me harder this time. And I was going to get punched in the face. So I really went nuts on him. You don't mess with a Marine that way, especially one that was, you know, trained during the Vietnam War. You just don't mess with him. So I didn't hit him, but, but I, but I think, um, I don't remember exactly because you go into this headset that you don't remember exactly, but I, I did whatever I did to back him off from me. And, uh, and then I started back to the store, which wasn't far away. And opened up the door to the store, and I said, "Call 911. I got a real jerk out here." 
and they asked me what happened as I'm standing in the doorway, and I told them, and they said, well, it didn't happen in the store, so it's not our business. Here we go with the isolationists again. It has nothing to do with them, even though I am a, a customer who just purchased something from their establishment and do it on a regular basis and was in peril uh, with the possibility of being, you know, stabbed, shot, mangled, beaten up, whatever, for the $3.94 I had in my pocket. Um, their, their whole perspective was, you're off our parking lot when this happened. It has nothing to do with us. So they wouldn't call 911. They said, you can go to the corner and use the payphone. I look at the corner, which is uh, the payphone at the corner, which is about another six feet away from their parking lot and the corner. And here's the guy who's after me standing at the at the payphone. Well, that's not going to work, is it? <laughs> so if I started, I, I closed the door. If I started walking towards my house again, which was the opposite direction, he would follow me. So I'd go back towards the store, and he'd go back towards the payphone. Well, eventually he left the payphone area, and I went towards the payphone, and I could see where he was going up the street. Um, when he saw me, he turned around and came back after me again, so I went back towards the store. Well, this time he decided to pick up a piece of ice, uh, a fairly huge piece of ice, and hurl it at me as I was opening the door to the store again and got me right in the cheek, cut the cheek under my eye, <clears throat> and some of the ice broke from the, uh, it also splattered against the door and went flying into the store. Well, now they could call 911 because their store was attacked. So they did. Now the guy knows that, that the police are being called, so he takes off up the street. Um, I watched where he went. And when the police did show up, of course, I got in the car and they took me back down the street to my house and asked me a lot of questions. And uh, then the, the other car went looking for this guy and they found him, they picked him up, it turned out that he had just gotten out of jail. And he was acting up again. Um, and he was staying at a halfway house somewhere up that street. So, uh, anyway, they let me off. And I, I had a, a good friend who was um, a very mellow person. And I called her up, I said, Karen, this is what happened to me tonight. Now, I know that this happens in cities, and it happens to people all the time. But why did it happen to me? So we had a little talk, and she said, you know, what you did is you walked up that street to the store being a victim in your mind. You believed you'd been a victim of whatever happened to you that day. And what you did is project that energy out so that this guy thought you were a victim, too. He picked up on it. I said, there's a victim. And you flashed that neon sign and said, yes, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. And and so he followed through on your energy, which you then reacted to uh, in, a, in, in the only way you can to survive. And I said, so I was really the cause. Well, yes, I mean, his causes are otherwise what made him be the kind of person who would attack victims. That's it, it a whole other story. The important part was, why did I become the victim in the first place? Because I allowed myself to see myself as a victim of the circumstances of that day, rather than looking at how I could change whatever happened that day and not be a victim. So anyway, to, to I think I told the story once several years ago on a podcast, but I'll, I'll shorten it up a little. Um, I was called in a few weeks later by, by a police chief friend of mine, um, and asked if I was going to come in and, and 
you know, press charges and do all this kind of stuff. And I had thought about it, and I said no. And, of course, they thought I was crazy. And I said, uh, no, he spent, you know, these last three weeks in jail or whatever, how long you've had to pull him back and forth because of his parole, I don't know. But let him go. Um, and so they had to. And now am I being liberal or am I being conservative? I think I'll leave that up to you to decide. So anyway, they let him go, and several days later I saw another police friend of mine, and I said, Donna, have you seen the guy anywhere around the that halfway house or the corner or whatever um, who attacked me? And she, she didn't know for sure, but she thought she had. So I went looking for him, and I found him, you know, talking to a bunch of other people on a corner. And I walked up to him, and he didn't recognize me, of course, because I wasn't in victim mode. The energy wasn't right. He didn't ever look at my face or know who I was. But I tapped him and stepped back, and I said, do you remember me? And, of course, now he's not, he's not, um, he's defensive because he doesn't remember who I am. So right away I could see his fist clench. And I said, you know, I showed him that my cheek that had healed, basically, but the little scar scab that was there. And I said, do you remember doing this? And now he's even more defensive. And I said, no. I said, I'm not here to attack you. I'm not here to condone what you did. I said, I'm actually here to forgive you. Well, he didn't know what to do with that. And you could see his face look at me like I was from Mars. And I said, again, I want you to understand, I don't condone what you did. Your actions, based on whatever your, your, the cause of your actions is, was, is not acceptable to me. And I would not allow you to do it again. But I also will not allow myself to be put in that position with you again. And I took his, I, shook, I put my hand out and I shook his hand. And I said, I forgive you. Well, and I walked away. Now that sounds arrogant to some people. What are you doing forgiving him? You know, about, well, you know, it was that and forgive myself or set up another scenario, um, which is what happens in this world so often. Several weeks later, we, we were at a party or something, and Donna, my police friend, was there, and I said, Donna, do you see that guy anymore? And he goes, she goes, yeah, I don't know what happened. He, he does all this work at the mission now for people who are homeless and for people who are um, uh, getting out of jail and in that halfway place of becoming you know, citizens again. He does all this work with them, and he hasn't been in any trouble. And I just smiled. I didn't tell her why. I just smiled and said, good. You know, it's better than being in jail. And uh, and I, of course, don't know what's ever happened to him, but um, but I was there for quite a long time, and I never saw anything about him in the newspapers or TV or anything about him getting in more trouble. But what I realized and, of course, learned from that is um, how easy it was, in many ways, to be the victim and how much easier it was to not be if you come from the right place, if you find the cause of what's going on. That's why I wrote the books I did and, and named them the way I did. Because if we find the cause for things, we don't have to worry about a whole lot at all. We don't have to worry. I mean, we can be, you know, you're, we have people who are victims of addictions. You know, with drugs, they're on antidepressants. And they blame their depression on everybody else. Now, you know how Obama blames everybody else for everything. That's a very progressive, liberal, communist way of dealing with the world. Everybody else caused you to be where you are now or to feel how you feel now. 
you had nothing to do with it. You don't have to take any responsibility whatsoever. But you'll be a hero if things happen to turn out. Whether it's the killing of bin Laden or um, because you finally sold 10 electric cars or whatever, or you played your 71st round of golf, you'll be a hero. And everybody will bow down to you and want you to do more for them. Uh, but first you've got to blame everybody. And, and we do that on that microcosm level of us as individuals. And then we do it in families. We do it in neighborhoods. We do it in races. You know, if you're black, everybody caused you to be oppressed all your life. And that's why you didn't do well in school. And that's why you didn't want to go to school. And that's why you don't want to work. And that's why everybody oppresses you and you can't get the right jobs. And um, you don't make as much money as Whitey does. And and um, the Hispanics are making more money than you now. And then it's the men, male, female, gender thing. And women are making more than men or men are making more than women so the other one whoever isn't is the victim we used to play games as children and we played baseball which you know our president doesn't has never played and football and things like that when you lost the game or when you couldn't get a hit or you didn't get a home run you weren't a victim you practiced and you did better and and when you did get the hit and you did get the home run you were filled with joy because you made yourself better you were working at becoming all you could be it was wondrous you know to be Casey at the bat finally though get the home run um, and that home run it's called home run the words we use home run did you strike out how many times can you strike out you can strike out over and over and over again as long as you keep going to bat we're living in a country now that, that um, <laughs> uh, if you strike out 50 times in a game, which you can't, you can only strike out so many times if you rotate correctly, um, uh, you're told that that's okay, you win anyway. Okay, now that's a liberal way of protecting a class of people who believe that they are either not capable of doing better, will never do better, shouldn't do better, or were victimized so that they couldn't do better. Rather than getting up to the plate with them and showing them how to hold the bat and helping them fit their state, uh, set their stance. I used to love to set my stance and point just like Babe Ruth. Um, helping them keep their eye on the ball. Helping them follow through. Helping them run the bases. Helping them strategize so they know when to run and when not. Those are just basic things. Think about that little ball game. What it taught you. How to work with each other. Who was the better hitter? Who was the better pitcher? Who was the best first baseman? Who could feel the ball better than anyone else? Who were the stars on your team? Where were you? Where did you fit in? Why didn't you lead off the batting lineup instead of, uh, you know, doing cleanup? Because you were the better batter. Because you could hit the ball further. Because strategically, as a team, those were your strengths and that's where they were needed. Now you transfer that baseball experience or that football experience, same thing. I don't want to go through the whole thing about the football, but um, the team spirit that you learned in school and on the playgrounds of your life translate that into now you're older what games are you playing 
Is it the corporate game? The entrepreneurial game? The political game? Um, what skills are you using? Are you still a victim? Are you doing the best you can? Are you being the best you can be? Are you becoming more divine or, or less divine in your actions, your words, your mannerisms, your beliefs? Do you think you're the hero even though you're not even up to bat? Do you think you know better than everyone else on the team even though you've never been to practice? You can translate all of this into politics and then take those politics and make them global. We're in a lot of trouble globally. You know it. I know it. You know the predictions are coming true, but there's um, just so much is going to happen with Israel in the next three or four weeks where you're already seeing um, people amassing and charging their borders to try to cause a conflict. And, and people were killed yesterday, and there will be bigger conflicts because we are... In a world where those who are not from Israel uh, or who have been so-called displaced by Israel, and we've gone through what wars are before, so you can listen to this podcast another time, uh, now feel oppressed by Israel, and they are victims of Israel. So they're going to respond as victims and attack and destroy Israel. We have... um, global politicians, including the President of the United States, who believes that his people are victims and have always been victims of capitalism. Well, capitalism worked. That's what allowed the world to become prosperous in the first place. Socialism did not work. That's what is allowing the destruction of many European countries now. So, which one is bringing us closer to divinity? The one that allowed us to be the greatest giving nation in the world, the most charitable nation in the world, the most innovative nation in the world to cure diseases, to uh, invent um, anything that would make life easier, better, stronger, uh, more safe, whatever. Is that the better thing, or is it better for us all to um, just have a rice field of 10 by 10 given to us by the government, and if we can't grow the rice, let the government give us our food? Let the government decide how much electricity we use or what kind of, of, of energy we use. Put us all in a house in the, in, or an apartment, excuse me, in a high-rise so that we can go straight to work down the stairs of the elevator and our work is at the base of that building. And uh, tell us what we should read, what we should learn, how we should learn it, who should teach it. Uh, I'll tell you what, I wasn't put on earth for that. Neither were you. And and uh, we have to fight it because, and we have to fight stronger than we are. Conservative people are way too conservative. They don't make noise. They don't stop their feet. They don't fight. They don't do anything. They just wait for the proper time to vote or say what they need to say. Well, there's, the proper time has come and gone. Um, we need to be doing a lot more to fight this because our country is being taken over. And what that means on an international level, for all of you from China and Japan and Australia who listen to me, and those in Europe and, and the military guys, thank you. Um, but for all of you who listen to me other places, our fight is your fight for freedom. We want to help you, but you have to help us. You have to know that we have been a part of your life and that you've wanted to be a part of ours even if you can't get here yet. 
but you wanted the American dream. What that dream is, is freedom. The freedom to be all you can be, as long as you follow the rules. And know that that freedom comes from God, not from Obama, not from uh, some caliphate, not from the New World Order people, the Bilderbergs or whoever. It comes from God. And you have those abilities, you have those rights, not the right to free housing and free health care, your right to live on earth and to deal with whoever puts you on earth the way you need to deal with them so that you have whatever you need to move forward to find your own shelter, to find your own food, to find your way to provide those things for you and then for others later. That's what makes you a human being. Otherwise, you're a piece of dirt under some elitist foot and he will kick you down the road or squish you into the ground when he's ready. Or she. The women are becoming just as bad. So anyway, because I'm leaving town for a while, um, and I should be back at the end of, of June, but you never know, you know. Um, we'll be off the air for a bit. I'll take my computer with me, but I'm not sure how often I'll be on that. And uh, I thought I'd better check in, because the next six months we are going to see things happening in, in Israel that are that are... are not good for Israel, but they're strong enough. They know that's coming. Uh, China, you know, we've had this harp stuff going on. That China had the tsunami and the earthquake. Well, that wasn't natural. We've had the floods, you know, in the Midwest, the United States, the tornadoes that devastated so many places. Those weren't natural. Well, there's going to be more. Uh, the hurricanes I've already talked about, you'll see volcanoes in places still that you never thought you'd see a volcano. We had one in Chile, evacuated hundreds of people because of that volcano. Uh, I told you that the first half of the year, the volcanoes are going to pop up in places that we don't normally see volcanoes, not like Hawaii and, you know, Mount Etna in Italy. Um, it'll be whatever it's called in, in, uh, in um, New Hampshire <laughs> or New Mexico or whatever. All of a sudden, the volcano will pop up because the Earth is changing and the Earth needs to go through all these things. Uh, uh, you will see fires. We've seen fires in Arizona now. They were Texas before. Um, these are man-made fires. These are being caused. They are being caused to make people victims so that they'll rely on the government and vote correctly when this new election comes around. This man that you all think is wonderful, you know, all you people out there, man, you, you better re-examine who you're looking at and really get the facts because he comes from places that you don't want to know to do things that you shouldn't be a part of or have to... Uh, or have to suffer through. All right, all right, all right. Okay, that's long enough. Um, please go to my website, earthwalk-usa.com. Buy the books. Don't forget the cures. Find the cause books one and two. We still try to give donations to the Wounded Warriors program from those books. Um, there's a lot of information on there uh, to help you be prepared for everything that's happening to teach you about holistic health, to use essential oils, to get the right water, all those kinds of things. Spread the word. Let people know about it. It's uh, uh, full of information. And keep checking back for more podcasts because I, I used to do them more often. I just didn't see uh, what else I could tell anybody anymore. <laughs> if you go to Earthwalk, the podcasts are there. If you don't go there, you can get them from iTunes. You can get them off Podomatic.com. Um, you have videos on, on uh, YouTube that we've done 
that you can look up uh, under earthwalk-usa.com. Uh, and then and then share those with people because the more people who understand where we are and, and, and how to deal with these things, the better off we will be as a world, not just a country or a state or a family or a person. So look at yourself as plugging into the world and helping where you can. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so, earthwalk-usa.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back as soon as I can. <laughs>